Welcome to Public Servants Announcements. This is a later recording than normal. I'm sure y'all will hear it at the same time that you normally listen. But just to know where our heads are at, me and our guests today are recording this at 11 o'clock on a Monday night. Um, and so that just kind of lets you know where our heads are at. It also lets you know why my voice sounds a little bit different because this is go to sleep voice or wake up voice, not middle of the day excitement voice. But today we have an incredible guest. It's someone I've known for probably almost 20 years now. That's crazy because I didn't think about it until I was trying to figure out how long it is. But since I was a preteen, like 12 or 13, um, but now he is a traveling nurse doing wonderful things. Welcome to the podcast, Mr. Akil Raju. Thank you. Thank you, Shaman. It's been great to hear from you again. Absolutely. So, I mean, the first question I ask everybody on the podcast is just kind of tell us what you do. Give us a little introduction. Obviously, all of my guests are public servants, but how do you serve the public? Uh, personally, I, I, I guess multiple ways, but uh, I do nursing. Uh, that's how I, that's my occupation, I guess. Um, outside that, I'm pretty involved with church. Uh, I try to do a lot of church things. Uh, we have a youth group. We have a focus group, which is like more elderly, not elderly, sorry, uh, more like my age gap where it's like 25 to 30s, 40s. Uh, so I help with some of that. Um, I actually just moved back to Texas, so I need to get back involved with the Texas church group. <laughs> okay, so where are you moving from? Uh, I just moved back from Michigan. My wife's from there. Uh, so move back uh, to Texas. We will move there because my job's easier to travel with. Like you said, I'm a travel nurse. Uh, so I was out there after we got married in May last year. Uh, I was up there since uh, from then to now. Okay. So you, you moved to Michigan because that's where your wife was stationed, but you were traveling the whole time. Yep, exactly. So that gets me into my first question because, so like with most of our guests, I do know Akil um, personally. And so I follow him on social media and I watch his life from afar, which is what most people do on social media. I promise mm -hmm. I'm not weird. Um, but nope. in watching his life, I did see that he got married. Um, and I've always kind of wanted to know how do travel nurses, because the two travel nurse friends that I have that are really close to me, they aren't in relationships. Um, so how, how does that work? How does that marriage work with a travel nurse? Does your spouse go with you? Does your spouse have a regular job and they stay at home and you're just without them for months at a time? How does that work? It, it's, uh, it's hard. So me and her dated for four years now, five years coming up. Uh, so most of that time I was, I started dating her when I was at a full-time job in Arkansas. And then in between that time, like towards the beginning of our relationship, I think like six months in, that's when I started traveling, but we were always long distance anyway. So I was in Arkansas, she was in Detroit. We visited often uh, or each other. Um, but I started traveling to Texas. I was here for nine months first, back to Texas, I guess, home. Uh, but then I moved to California. Then I camped, uh, I was in California for six months, back to Texas. And the whole thing was, uh, 
it was hard. It was adjustment, but I mean, we did a lot of conversations, FaceTime. Uh, sorry, she's an Android girl. I'm her iPhone, so uh, we use Facebook Messenger. <laughs> so uh, that was great. Uh, shout out to them. Uh, but we did a lot of conversation, a lot of uh, communication skills. Uh, we're still learning on that. But like I said, we only got married six months ago, so um, during that whole time, we were we've been together. But during the engagement time, like planning an Indian wedding is extremely hard when you're in two different uh, two different states. And on top of that, I was in Hawaii actually. Uh, that was that was very hard because of the time difference, you know. But we make it work, and that's where we are right now, you know. I have so many questions from all of that. <laughs> so the first and what I believe is the most important question, how are you dating somebody who doesn't have an iPhone? How are you married to somebody who doesn't have an exactly. iPhone? I've been trying to convert her. It doesn't work, man. Her whole family's full of uh, Android users and they're, they're stuck in their ways. Just like Jewel. You remember my brother? He's an Android yeah. geek too. And oh my Jewel's, goodness. We try, I know. Trust me. I, I've been trying, man. Because I'm not going out of my way to try to figure out how to FaceTime you. If you don't have FaceTime, you just can't FaceTime. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's also really struggle for it's a hard struggle to get like a group text going. We have to use the uh, group me and WhatsApp and yeah, it's a struggle, man. Oh, I didn't even think about it. You can't edit, like, and I know this is a new feature, and I, I promise, guys, we will get back on topic. This is a new feature, but you can't edit your messages when you're talking to someone in Android. Nope. Oh. Yeah, it's, I mean, in a way, I guess it's, like, the real you. What do you, what are you, what are you going to say to her? Like, you know, let's just say I'm bad one day. It's like, hey, screw you. You know, I can't just delete it and take it away. It's that. It's there. It's. 100% truth, you know, I guess that's a benefit to it. You get to learn a lot more about the other person. Yeah, I guess you, you have no choice. Uh, <laughs> yep. Okay, now real questions. How do you start dating someone from Detroit when you're in Arkansas? Um, Indian community, you know, we're all close. You remember the Indian circle in Jackson yes. and North Garland. We're all, we all know each other, but through me and her, uh, she is my best, so my best friend, Ryan, is married to her first cousin. Uh, and okay. then on top of that, we met at their sister's wedding. So the guy, the one, the guy that she married, her cousin married, is a guy from my church. And then uh, from D D Dallas itself, and then she's from Detroit. But Essentially, it's just a big Indian community of just knowing each other, you know, online dating, stuff like that. Okay. Of course, technology is coming to the point. Yeah, y'all were hooked up, basically, is what I'm hearing. And no, no, we definitely, we didn't, we didn't do it the Indian <laughs> traditional way. We, we didn't do no arranged marriage. Not, not arranged, <laughs> but like mutual friends. Hey, you should probably meet. Hey, y'all are both going to be at this wedding. Hey, oh, let's no, we next to each other. Like that. We, uh, we just saw each other, honestly, man. I, I remember seeing her on my my best friend's wife's Snapchat, and I texted her. I was like, oh, my gosh, she, is she has the most beautiful smile. And my best, uh, my best friend's wife, Anita, uh, Anita was like, 
uh, no, ew, that's my baby cousin. And I'm like, all right, back up. I, I messed up. I'm not, I'm not talking to someone young like that. And then uh, down the road, I think it was like, what, three, four months later, I found out this baby cousin is literally only a baby because she's two years younger than Anita. <laughs> so it wasn't even that long. It's just because she's a baby, like a quote unquote baby to her, you know? So uh, it, it was never really. So then we started talking, and I was like, "Okay, we met at the wedding, and we started talking." Then. So you shot your shot through Snapchat. Yep, exactly. Okay, so I don't even think okay. she liked me at that time, man. <laughs> that so she had to meet you in person then. Uh, yeah. Like we never talked through Snapchat or anything. We we I literally just messaged. Anita's snatch. I saw the story. Snatch. I messaged her on hers, and she. I never talked to Estelle at all. Estelle's my wife. Uh, I never talked to Estelle at all until the day of the wedding. That's the first time I ever talked to her. And then she fell head over heels because you have an infectious personality. Exactly. No, I'm not that great. She's a great one. I got lucky. I got blessed. I'm sure. Um... I'm sure. And I've seen the pictures on social media. Akil's wife is absolutely gorgeous. But his personality, his in real life, his personality is super infectious. He's he is the the star of the show most times. <laughs> Except when I'm going against Shelvin, he is the star of the show. Always theater class. He was a, he was the boss. Oh my god. Was it was it was it Ms. Robinson's class? Eighth grade, you were uh uh, when we did the Grinch show, was it? Yeah. I remember you, I, I remember you be the star, man. I was like, I want to be Sheldon one day. <laughs> you want to be? Ah, that's way to put on the pressure. <laughs> um, yeah, that, no, I, I remember doing, I was just talking to somebody about that. I think I was just talking to Kalichi about that, how I was the Grinch in middle school. And like we did radio yep. theater, so there was no real acting. It was just voice acting, except everyone could see you. Yep. No, that, that I told someone the other day, if I can go back to middle school and do it all over again, just start life from there, I wouldn't change a whole lot. I really enjoyed middle school and high school. Same, man. Yeah, I remember, I also remember those uh, dope shirts you made. You remember the one with the, uh, the blonde blank, uh, long black sleeve with the red theater uh, face mask? Yes. Yeah, you you're one of the few people who really remember that I like because I told someone other I was like no I started making shirts in middle school and they were like no you didn't I was like yes I did I'm glad this is now being <laughs> recorded so people can hear I'm not lying I started making shirts in middle school I appreciate that I appreciate that now how did how did you get into nursing um long story short my dad's a priest uh I always went to the hospital with him um like whenever he was visiting church members or whatever uh I saw the people coming in and I was like oh I want to be a doctor uh and then one day like as best as that was in my thoughts and then I remember going to North Garland and I did uh which was the HST when we did clinicals in there uh, I remember going to the hospital and seeing like that it was never the doctor that was constantly coming into the hospital room. It was it was a nurse, and so I was like, oh, I don't want to be a doctor. I mean, nothing against doctors. Doctors are great. Uh, not bashing them, but it was just I like being at bedside with people. 
I don't know, something about my personality just makes me want to be there for when someone's uh, sick, I guess. And yeah. I guess it got carried down from my dad. That servant's heart. That's what that is. So, yeah, yeah, I guess so. That. You are the, you're the third nurse I've recorded with, but you're only the second uh -huh. nurse to get posted because Crystal's sound was awful. Uh -huh. um, Were but, you in high school with us? Yes. Okay. And I want to say, no, she didn't ride our bus, but she was, she was, she should have. She was in that same area. Um, but I know you know who she is because I was looking at a picture the other day and she's in a picture with you. Um, but okay. I was talking to her and she said pretty much the same thing. And then talking to Kalichi, she said pretty much the same thing, that nursing is something that you all do because you want the regular interaction with the patients. Um, and I don't know, I don't think I asked them if they ever wanted to be a doctor, but I think it's interesting that you said you originally wanted to be a doctor and then decided to be a nurse because it's more regular interaction. So for the people who yeah. don't know, can you explain kind of the difference in a nurse's job versus a doctor's job? Okay, uh, yeah, so I always think of it like, ooh, I hope I don't offend anybody. If I, and if I offend anybody in this, I don't mean it in a rude way. I genuinely, this is how I see it. And I work with a lot of, I've traveled a lot, but I always see the hospital as a whole body figure. Uh, the brain being the doctor, you have the smarts, has everything that you need, right? Uh, the nervous system essentially goes down to the hand. Uh, the hands are also, along with the PTs, the OTs, the, uh, everybody else that puts their hands on, physically on a patient, they are the hands. But the doctor is there, the one that places the orders and says, hey, this is what's going to benefit the doctor, or this is what's going to benefit the patient and make sure that they are better. Uh, that they came to the hospital to receive what they are going to receive. Uh, granted, let's just say this, um, the same analogy, I guess, with the brain and the hand. Uh, when you're hovering your hands over a hot plate, you feel that warmth and your body tells you, hey, I'm not going to touch that because it's hot, right? Uh, we have that power as a nurses in order to stop something that, if a doctor orders something, we're supposed to do it. But in our nursing judgment and our clinical judgment, we say, hey, that's probably not the right thing for a certain circumstance. And that goes into a whole theory of a lot of pathophysiology, a lot of nursing classes, everything else that goes into that. Uh, that's, that's there. Uh, we don't just say, hey, no, we're not doing this because we don't want to, you know? It's because we had that experience and say, hey, we see the lab work. Maybe the doctor just made a mistake. We got to double check it. So we just do that. It's not, it's not a uh, hardcore, um, um, uh, like a fight between the doctor and the nurse whenever we say that. It's just more of a, hey, D, are you sure you want to do this? I noticed that X, Y, and Z is this. And I noticed that you, what you order contraindicates what I should be doing or what you want me to do. You know what I mean? Right. Okay. So as far as like the doctor, they'll give that order and the nurses just go through with it. It's, it's like Santa Claus and the old man. Okay. Okay. See, I love how he gave us like the nursey, doctory, medical health professional analogy. Like, I'm sure he thought that when he said it's like the brain and the hands that all of us normal people would understand that. And 
I was kind of right along with him until he started talking about the nervous system because science was yeah. easily my worst subject. But then he gave us Santa and the elves. <laughs> and it just, oh, okay. Exactly. Makes sense. Yep. You got to have that boss. You have that boss overall, and then boom, you need someone to do the actual job. The doctor, they, I mean, don't get me wrong, they have so much on their plate. They're dealing with so many more patients than just the, like I'm in ICU. So for me, I have most ratios are two patients. Um, so I have two really, really sick patients, but the doctor has the whole ICU unit. So they can't do everything that they want to do. So they send us to do it. That makes a little bit more sense. It's not like a, oh, the doctor, it's an easier job for the doctor. They just tell us what to do. It, there's a teamwork behind all of it. Okay. And does the doctor carry more responsibility than the nurses do? Like legal responsibility or liability? Uh, I'm not 100% sure on that answer. As far as like, I've never been in any legal trouble. Knock on wood, I don't want to be. I think I've done pretty good choices in my life. Uh, but as far as what I hear, I've, I've been around to a couple of different hospitals and like lost, especially being in California, there's a lot of lawsuits out there. People love law uh, suing out there, you know, um, it goes at the end of the day, it's always like whatever the doctor orders, it's the nurse that pursues it and does the actual order. Correct. Right. So we are the last one between the patient and the doctor or anything within the health, within the hospital system. So let's just say the hospital system, there's the CEO, then it goes to the board and then it goes to blah, blah, and then gets to the doctor status and then it goes to the nurse, right? We are the last person, the hospital hires the doctor, the doctor is telling the nurse what to do and we are liable. And I feel like a lot of nurses will say this too, but there is a lot of liability that nurses have as far as what is done to the patient and what happened to the patient. Um, I would love to say that it's 50 50, but do I believe that? I don't think so personally. Um, but it, I mean, it, it, it is what it is, you know? That's why I right. said that nurses have such a big responsibility on where the hands, if there's a hot topic like a hot burner right there i'm not gonna go ahead and do it if i have that gut feeling that nurse's gut feeling that says hey this is wrong or something's wrong about this i'm going to double check and verify is this the right thing to do makes perfect sense makes perfect sense yeah so when i think of that just as an educator i think like principal down to teacher like the doctor would be the principal where they are responsible for all of the students in the school. And the teacher is responsible for her 30 or his, or his 30 students in his classroom, or if it's a high school, then 150 students or a middle school, 150 students. Um, and so the principal sets the standards of these are the behaviors we should follow. These are the things that have to be taught. And then the teacher's job is to actually teach those things and to enforce those behaviors. And if something happens in the classroom, just like if something was to happen in the patient's room, it's the responsibility of the teacher or the responsibility of the nurse. Is that about right? Yeah, it is. Gotcha. Okay, so I see you nursing. How is that 
different than ER nursing or labor and delivery? <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is gonna be yeah, really uh, all the nurses out there. You know how we are. Uh, everybody else is not nursing; wouldn't understand this fully. But we all have our our little disputes on where we are. We pride ourselves. ICU prides ourselves in. We're really big perfectionists, getting things done correctly on time, making sure things are stat, getting things done. Okay, we have two patients. It sounds like a little bit, but you also have to think of these patients are actively dying at all times. They're here in the ICU for a reason, correct? Uh, wait a minute. Wait a uh, minute. I've never heard someone be described as actively dying. <laughs> uh, really? Okay, so like ICU, like y you think of it in the TV shows and movies, uh, you see all this like... Uh, let me let me start from a patient coming into the hospital. I work in the hospital setting, so I'm more acute care, not uh, outside patient care, like physical therapy, nursing homes, or anything like that, okay? okay. Uh, so ICU specifically, or actually, I take them back. I'm just going to start from, this, this is just to get a better general idea of the hospital setting, uh, okay. just to take it away from the TV and the movies and everything else that's falsely accurate, like false advertisement. Um, so anyways, a patient, let's just say myself, I'm really, really sick and I don't feel like my, I don't feel good. I go to the hospital. I go to the ER. I start off in the ER. I go get triaged, which means as a triage nurse or whoever's checking you out says, hey, these are your symptoms. How serious are you on a scale of one to five from the hospital standpoint? Okay. And there's more technicalities into this, not just one to five. There's a lot that goes into this. Uh, vital signs, blood pressure, assessments, all that. Uh, but th so once from there, they, let's just say they have to be admitted or just go take into the ER. They'll watch them and monitor them for however long that the hospital needs to monitor them in the ER. From there, they will, the doctor will say, oh, this patient's really, really sick. They need to go to, uh, they need to be admitted to the hospital, which just means that you're going to stay overnight or stay during the day or whatever it is. Okay. Uh, not just be in the ER and just get sent home with medications or anything like that. So you also got to think at this point, the doctor is saying you're sick enough to stay overnight instead of just going home on some medication. Uh, are you following right now with that? Yes. So then from there, it goes into, oh, the patient is admitted. So now where are we going to place this patient? If they're super, super, super sick, and when I say actively dying, I know the general public doesn't get to see these type of things. Um, if they're super, super sick, they're going to go to the intensive care unit. If they're just sick enough to where it's something that we can just treat overnight or something like that, they might be going to observation unit, which just means, mon which just means like they're just being monitored there itself, okay? Uh, if they just want to go to, uh, not just want to go to, not the patient, but the doctor says, oh, they're a little bit more sick than the observation unit. They just need to be stayed for a day or two, uh, or they're planning on going to surgery or something like that, then they can go to a medical surgical unit. Uh, which is just, and the, they, these are different tiers in the hospital system, correct? Um, right. And then you also have labor and delivery, which is a whole another field that I don't even have. I'm just dumbfounded on because I don't have that. I don't have, I never worked with them. I did my clinicals and that's as much experience as I have with them. Um, but that's only mother baby patients. So anybody that's pregnant, anybody that's uh, uh has a child or uh, anything like that, they would go to the pediatric unit, they would go to the mother baby unit. That's like a whole different entity, I guess. 
uh, they're still part of the hospital, but that's that's just a different set of situation uh, set of uh, what do you call it? patient population. Still following me? Yes. So as far as the the ICU, when I when you asked that question with the actively dying, these are the very very sick people that in the ER they can't watch them and they can't take care of them. Not because ER nurses don't have the skills to. ER nurses are what I, from an ICU standpoint, will say they are the people that stay like stabilized and uh, like immediate, like acute injuries. Like let's just say there's a gunshot wound, right? They will mm-hmm. help fix that, set to make sure that they are stable enough to come to the ICU. And then from the ICU, they are being so sick, whether they need blood pressure medicines to keep their blood pressure high, or if their blood pressure is super high, we'll get them blood pressure to get it, uh, blood pressure medicine to get it down. Uh, there's other situations like someone's blood sugar. You think of uh, insulin all the time. You hear of uh, diabetes. Uh, it's a really big one. Uh, people's blood sugars are super high once it gets to that point. You need to be on an insulin drip, not just insulin sub Q, because that's not treating you. Uh, and there's protocols to all this that we do in the ICU. So when I say actively dying, it could be in the ICU means more like, hey, you're sick enough to go one way or the other. We either treat you and take care of you and stabilize you and make sure you're healed, or sorry, not healed. We don't heal. We'll tr- we treat in the hospital. Uh, we're treating you properly and getting your symptoms under control. Or if we don't do that, you're going to off the way. You are going to die. That kind of makes sense. Yes. So as far yes. as the actively dying, I say that because there's a lot of people that come to the ICU, and we call them non-compliant patients because, uh, not in a rude way. It's more because you got to think these people come from their homes and these patients, not people, these patients come from their home, um, come to the hospital and some doctor tells them, Hey, you're staying overnight for the next couple of nights, three to five, six nights, or even two, three weeks, months, if even, you know, depending on how sick they are. But after the day or two, they're like, why am I here? I'm fine. I'm completely fine. But in reality, they think that they're fine. But when you look at their labs and everything else that the medical professionals look at, we're saying you're not fine because of a certain reason. It's not because we just want to keep someone in the hospital. So whenever someone stays in the hospital in the ICU specifically for a couple of days, they get tired of it. It's annoying. Like, I want to go back home. I want to be with my dog. I want to be with my family. I don't want to stay here. So that's when they're like, oh, I want to leave. I'm okay. I want to go at home uh, against medical advice. Um, so there's moments like that that people come into and uh, think that they're not as sick as they really are, but mm-hmm. we see them as being that sick. So actively dying is a broad, I, I, maybe I should use another set of words, like just very, very sick. Um, so excuse my actively dying comment. No, so I, I like, tell, like that. I like actively dying. Like I think that puts into perspective what the IC, like, because we know that ICU stands for intensive care unit, unless, of course, you didn't know people, ICU stands for intensive care unit. But if you've watched Grey's Anatomy, you know that. Um, so <laughs> we know that ICU means it's intensive care, and that means it's it's really important, and you're sicker than what the normal hospital can do, or the normal set of hospital um, nurses and doctors will take care of. But I've never thought, like, if you're in ICU, you are closer to dying than you are to living normally. 
Yes, or just extremely sick, to be honest. Like, I mean, your symptoms, if you're in the IC, your symptoms can get to that point where, yeah, you are that sick where you're dying, you know? Um, so how do you explain to a patient? I have a bunch of other questions, but this is just my own personal curiosity. How do you explain to a patient when they want to go home because they feel fine because you've done your job and nursed them back to a normal level, but they are also at a point where if they leave the hospital at the current time, they're not healthy enough to sustain life on their own and they'd end up back in the hospital. How do you explain that to a patient? You have multiple people in the world with different mindsets, man. So at the end of the day, I can genuinely say that I told people that, hey, if you leave, you're dead, you're going to die. And then that, like, just bluntly, because, and I know if for some of the listeners that are out there, I, I know that sounds cold hearted, but it's because we see something that you don't see. Uh, medical professionals, they, they, if, if they listen a lot more, or sometimes we do, sometimes medical professionals are the worst patients. Uh, but Anybody outside that medical professionals right now listening, I don't say it in a cold-hearted way. I genuinely say that because some people just need to hear it bluntly to say you're going to die to make them understand, hey, you, are, you need to be in the hospital. Versus the opposite spectrum is where I explain something to you and I tell you, hey, this is what I, I consider myself to be a person of patience. Um, and I like to explain and teach. So for me, I will tell my patients who are wanting to leave, I will reiterate multiple times, hey, this is your symptoms. This is what's happening. This is your uh, diagnosis. This is the general idea. And the doctors do this education as well. Patient education is a big key in the hospital system. Um, nursing students, I know you think that it's the dumbest thing in the world doing your care plans, but I promise you, it is something that you just repeat, repeat, repeat all the time in the hospital setting, especially to these type of patients that want to leave. Because sometimes that's the only way to teach them. It's because they don't have that knowledge and um, experience. This is a, sometimes this is the first time that they're coming in with a uh, sickness and they don't know about it. Uh, so you have to just reiterate and educate everything that you learned to a such a brief and uh, or what I learned as a nurse to what their specific situation is. Does that right. make, or does that was like pretty clear with that? Yeah. And to what we can understand as non-medical professionals. Exactly. And I don't say that in a, it's just not a, it's not a rude thing. Like non-medical professionals aren't smart. It's just that. We're not medical professionals. Different. Yeah. Exactly. Like, y'all have a vernacular that y'all use, a, a vocabulary that y'all use on your own that we don't understand. Like, obviously, if, actually, this may not be so obvious, but I think teachers and nurses have a lot of the same sets of skills and a lot of the same drive behind what we do. But if, mm -hmm. I, I truly believe if the really good nurses and the really good teachers took a year to learn each other's profession, they could switch jobs and do perfectly fine. Because a lot of it, what we it, do is teaching, helping, and, and just really caring about the person in front of us. 
teachers and nurses are really good professionals that like to say they adapt really well in different mm-hmm. circumstances. Uh, teachers take care of all different types of students growing up and learning what they need to learn in their life as their young bodies versus hating their nurses. We adapt to every situation, whether it's patients pulling out a knife on us, shooting us, hitting us, if it's, it's elderly or whatever it is, just yelling at us, cursing at us, everything. You get the same thing from both sides. It's just adaptability in a career is really it's a key skill that I feel like a lot of professions would benefit from learning. Absolutely. Okay. So while you were explaining the nursing, I don't even want to call it the nursing system, but the, the practice that some of y'all go through, you, you made a statement that really like stood out to me. You said, we treat, we don't heal. What does that mean? So as far as what's, I can't, so let's just say, like, I'm, I'm using myself as an example because I don't wish anything on anybody random, whatever. Uh, I get cancer one day, right? At the end of the day, uh, let's just say my cancer is spreading and everything else. I've never, as an oncologist or anybody else, or this is what I've learned in nursing school from my own personal experience, and this is what one of my favorite teachers taught me this. Uh, we don't ever heal a patient um, because what we do, whatever symptoms they're going through, it's not fully healed or uh, whatever disease they have can't be fully healed. So at the end of the day, let's, I'm going to use the example of like a diabetic ketoacidosis. It's a diagnosis, okay? Um, it's a diagnosis whenever your blood sugars and patients with type 1 or type 2 diabetes, their blood sugars get up, it increases, it goes to an ab- uh, abnormal level above what you can be treated at home with. Uh, during this time, those patients come in, they're really sick, they're lethargic, um, they're really tired. You don't, you can't, sometimes you can't even wake them up. They can go into a coma, essentially. Uh, so that time, we treat the symptoms, we treat the symptoms of the DKA. We never heal the DKA because they're still, I have an underlying cause, which is the di- type 2 diabetes or the type 1 diabetes, right? So it's never like they are fully healed from the hospital setting. Uh that's not something that a doctor or a nurse or uh, anybody in the medical professional can say you are healed from. Um, I'm personally a, a believer of uh, Christianity and in my faith, I, I believe Jesus is the only one that can heal us. Uh, what I can do is I can treat you. I can take care of you. I can help you. Uh, but at the end of the day, Jesus is the one that can heal. That kind of makes sense. That it I, does. See, I was, when I asked the question, when I heard you say it, my initial thought was, see, that's the, that's the, like, what word am I looking for? That's the conspiracy of the insurance, the scam of the medical field. The, mm-hmm. okay, you have these patients and you never want to actually heal them because then they don't ever have a reason to come back and give you more money. So you just <laughs> treat it momentarily. <laughs> And that way they have to come back. And then you went into this super detailed, really great explanation that's way more spiritual than what I was expecting. It's not a scam. It's just what what your issue is. We can't, we don't want to take credit for healing it because if it if it gets better, then great. We treated it and it got better. But if it doesn't mm-hmm. get better, if 
if we take if we take credit for healing you, then we also have to take credit, or we have to take the blame when we can't heal you. And so it's almost exactly. like a liability type of thing. Like we're not going to take the credit for healing you because we don't ever want to have to take the the blame when it doesn't when whatever our treatment is doesn't work. But at the same time, it's also for me and you, we're we're Christians, and so realistically, in our heads, only only God can heal. Anything we're doing here on earth is a treatment. It's a resource. But the ultimate source is God. Well, that's because I wasn't talking yeah. to you, Siri. And first, like I said, that that's my personal take on this. At the end of the day, it's not what I was taught that God is the only one that can heal in nursing school or medical, every medical experience I've ever had. It's not, no one says, hey, only God can heal you. Um, that's not what we say. At the end of the day, we are in a world of uh, non-believers, every type of believer, like every faith out there, right? Um, that's not the only reason that we say we don't heal. In the medical aspect of it, it's just that we genuinely can't say we healed you fully. We don't use that term because we, let's just say you have, you are treated and all, like you said, uh, the treatment's done good and most of your symptoms are gone. Let's just, if you say healed, that means it's completely removed, correct? Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, let's just say one year from now, your blood pressure goes back to being high. What happened? It's not something that it was ever healed completely and it came back. It's not like a return. It's not like we returned a purchase that we didn't like, you know, it's that uh, we just, we can't heal you because there's so much in this world. Um, a blood pressure is actually a great and a great thought of this because at the end of the day, blood pressure can be affected by so many different things. There's a lot of people in the world that are have hypertension or high blood pressure uh, right now, especially in America. And a lot of things cause that stress, anxiety, uh, bad foods, cholesterol, um, taking, believe it or not, but taking blood pressure medicine that raises blood pressure. Um, and it, things like that, that people don't think about all these things can raise blood pressure. Uh, but at the end of the day, I can never tell you, I healed your blood pressure because in the hospital setting, I got your blood pressure from 140s to 120 over 80, a perfect blood pressure that never exists. You know, right. I treated you to it, but just because you're that 120 over 80 right now. And, and by the time you walk out of the hospital, I can't say that blood pressure is going to go right, not go right back to 140 over 80 or 90 because you went and worked out. You went and uh, what's called uh, ate some food that was build your cholesterol back up, things like that. Does that kind of make right. sense? Absolutely. And just speaking about blood pressure, I want to tell you wonderful medical professionals if someone normally has decent blood pressure, like I'm in pretty good shape. I have now gotten my blood pressure under control because there was a moment for about a year where every time I went in, my blood pressure was high. Um, Mm -hmm. And then at the end of that year, my doctor was just like, I don't think your blood pressure's just high. I think you're like, are you nervous about getting your blood pressure down? I was like, well, yeah, I don't want to have to take (laughs) blood pressure medicine. And, And everyone in my family that's older than me has high blood pressure and they all take medicine and I don't want to. I I eat really well and I exercise and I I try not to stress. And she was like, I think you're stressing about the blood pressure, which is why it's high. Because when I take it again at the end of every um, visit, your blood pressure is back normal again. So it's it's you just relax. 
And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's not easy to do. So just if you nope. could inform, like help teach some of these patients, I, I don't think, because I didn't know that stress mm -hmm. and like being stressed in the moment can cause your blood pressure to go up in the moment until yeah. she told me that. And I was like, yeah. I wanted to know how does your religion, because you said you have, obviously you are faith-based, you have, you're Christian, I'm Christian, so you believe God is ultimate healer. How does that interact with your professional ability to be a nurse, or does it interact at all? Do you ever have to check um, yourself? I check myself. Um, I have. How do I? Let's see. So I have patients that are non or religious, and I have patients that aren't religious. I have patients of different faiths. I have been with multiple different. Uh, believing uh, or people that believe some people believe in aliens clearly I've had I've had it I, I, I can't give any information but uh, I, like people believe in all different sorts of things but um, at the end of the day I am always aware of my situation and who what my patients believe in um, I am I like to say with the past five years of my experience that I'm culturally competent, and along with that cultural competency, it comes with uh, understanding people and when they are okay with it. Have I ever been on the same basis with a uh, person, a patient that believes in Muslim, uh, what's called, is a, a person of Muslim faith that I say, God be with us, and they both understand, I don't mean my God is with you. I mean that your God's with you, and I believe my God's also with you. Does that kind of make sense? It, yes. it, you have a fine line where you can go to. Do we say that stuff in the hospital setting? No, we're not. We're trained not to, but at the end of the day, we are both people, and I am genuinely caring for you that I want you better. And when patients, like, and I say those whenever I have that rapport with my patient, uh, we, I work 36 hours, so like, I like to do my day straight. So if I do my three days straight, I'm with you for 12 hours a day. That's half the day. I understand a whole bunch about you when I'm with you for that long. So when I build that rapport with someone that I'm open to and they are also open to uh, expressing religious beliefs like that, and I don't mean putting my religious beliefs on someone. I mean, I share saying, oh, hey, I'm praying for you or whatever else. That's there. That, that mutual understanding is there. It's very hard to follow that line, especially with, it's not that I don't, I don't take care of anybody that's outside Christianity. I don't believe in that. Um, I care for everybody equally. I don't care for anybody. If someone yells at me, I'm still going to take care of you the same way as, as someone that's super nice. Uh, that kind of makes sense. We, we have a fine line that we stop at. Not a fine line. We, we have a, you're supposed to take care of everybody equally. Treat others the way you want to be treated. It's my model personally, and that's something that I like to live by in the nursing community. Okay. So a question I always feel the need to ask nurses, but specifically nurses who are also Christian. How, like, how do you, especially since you're back in Texas, how do you feel about the new abortion laws in Texas? 
And your question was, how do I feel about it? Yeah. Like how, how do you, both as a medical professional, as a Christian, as a human being that cares about other people? Uh, it's a tough question. Uh, my answer isn't probably liked, but at the end of the day, it's my answer and it's my belief. Um, as a medical professional, I see this is also dealing, like I said, I'm ICU. I don't deal with mother, baby, those situations, pregnancies and stuff often. That doesn't mean I haven't. I've had a few, I've had a numerous amount of pregnant patients that I've had because they have been so sick that they come to the ICU. Uh, because of those situations specifically, I have been in the situation, I have altered my thought on this where there's always a different circumstance to everything. Every single situation is not the same. No, I don't think any situation is ever identical, whether it's the slightest number off or whatever it may be. I don't think anything in the world can be, there's always a gray area. Okay. That's what I'm trying to say. So for me personally, I believe that pregnancies that have, I ultimately don't believe in abortions. That's my number one thing, right? But on that same note, that, that's my Christian belief. I believe that every life matters. I genuinely do. I want every baby born in the world. But I also see situations, and it sucks that our human world is like this because it's disgusting. But I have seen in my clinicals, I've seen through my education, I've seen through my experiences and where, where patients are raped where patients are molested and young girls that are too young to even understand this are having kids uh those situations like that and it, it just gets really really deep um sorry for these words but at the end of the day i this is a tough subject for me um there's patients that even not just that extreme there's the other extreme where there's people that are there are patients that are pregnant at six, eight weeks that they find out that it's either going to be the baby or the mom. It's a life-threatening emergency. At that point, it's either an abortion or the mom continues on with this and she dies. At that point, whose life matters? And it, it goes into a whole loop-de-loop -loop of there can be arguments for every single last thing. So in my head, I'm personally conflicted with this whole like this whole ideology of oh, it has to be done in one way. I don't believe that you can just say for hard facts, you can't get an abortion in Texas. I don't believe in that law. That is, it's messed up. It's not, it's, it's taking away someone's freedom. Uh, and I hate to say that it's a freedom. That's, a, that's probably a bad word of choice, but I meant freedom from someone specifically. Someone has to take like that one lady, one that one 16-year-old girl that got raped by her whoever that is pregnant now and she can't go through school or anything like this. Why is she not allowed to have a pregnancy? And especially for her being that young, if she continues on with that pregnancy, how it, what if she has a life-threatening emergency later on? Is that, that still consider that abortion or not? You know what I mean? So that's where I come into the hard hold of 
what are we doing? Are we allowing this abortion now because there's a life-threatening emergency? What was the difference between now and before? But there's the perfect example where it's just an accidental happening. It happened. I don't believe that there's any accidents that happen as far as if you are having consensual sex with someone and you get pregnant, I believe that you should go through with the pregnancy. I don't believe in that life being lost for a certain reason. I know I'm contradicted with myself, but it's because of my Christian base and my medical base. Yeah, no, you sound so similar to what my answer would be. I, so when I'm recording these, I know just another peek behind the curtain for the audience. I record these on Zoom. And so like right now, I don't know if Akil can see me, but I can't see him. But I try really hard if I ask a question that's super opinion-based and can be kind of a hot topic, I try to like either hide my face or keep a straight face the entire time. Because obviously I don't want to sway anyone's answers based on my facial expressions or the um, agreement or disagreement I do with vocalations. And so to hear Akil word his answer in the most confusing way possible makes me feel good because that's the way my answer feels. Like personally, for me, I am pro-life. For me, I believe there is no, like I can't think of a logical reason for two consenting adults who know the ramifications and the consequences of having sex to get an abortion. It doesn't make sense to me. Mm -hmm. However, no. I don't believe I should have a say, and realistically, I don't have a say, but I don't think our government should have a say. I don't think anyone outside of the two people involved should have a say in whether or not someone else should be able to have an abortion. I think, mm -hmm. especially when it comes down, down to the, I mean, you gave some really good specific examples with rape and molestation and things like that. Those for me are no brainers. If I didn't have, if I didn't consent in creating the baby, I should not be forced to keep the baby. Um, or even, and a lot of people will say, well, you can put that baby up for adoption, but I've watched people go through pregnancies. Um, people underestimate the trauma that is created when someone is pregnant. People underestimate yeah. the emotional instability that people, that women and men suffer, but specifically women suffer going through pregnancy. People underestimate the yep. physical trauma that you go through when you're pregnant. And so to tell someone, I know you didn't want this baby, but hold on to it for nine months create a connection, create a bond, because those are things you can't control. It's literally someone yep. living off of your life. So create a bond and a connection with this person only to give it away. And I think that is even more inhumane than saying, let's end this life early so that you can be mentally stable, so that you can be physically okay, so that you can be emotionally okay to go to whatever you want to do after with the rest of your life. And I think, like I said, I think people underestimate the, just the non-medical side effects. And I hate to call mental trauma and 
just the physical changes that your body go through non-medical, but I'm talking like, if it's not a life or death, obviously those are also options and reasons that I think are very valid for having an abortion. If it's my life or the baby's life, let's pick the person who has been alive before. But Mm -hmm. even more than that, I think there's just other issues that come along with carrying a baby to term only to give it away or carrying a baby to term that you had no plans of keeping or creating and no parts in making, like you didn't have a say so in the creation of the baby. Um, And I just, I think it's inhumane to force someone to do that. And so I think the, the answer you gave shows the complexity and it shows it in a different light because you are a medical professional. You're not just a random person. Like I'm a random person giving my opinion on abortion. You are a medical professional mm-hmm. saying, no, I've seen these things firsthand where it does like, it does come down to mother's life or baby's life in the ICU. And we have to pick. Well, now in Texas, you don't have a choice. You cannot kill the baby. And I think that is... Yeah. So that's crazy to you as a medical professional. Yeah, because I can't... I mean, I've I've been in situations where the mother is bleeding out. And and I just can't... I mean, don't get me wrong. This is the first time I'm working in Texas after I was gone all of last year. So a full year and a half, potentially. Yeah, but no, no, I lied. I was in Texas. The beginning of last year, I, I didn't even know I haven't had a pregnant woman or giving a birth in the ICU, uh, which is rare. Also, we don't have that many like pregnant women that come in. We do have a good amount. Is if I haven't taken care of them, uh, but the handful like I've had hemorrhages or sorry, I'm bleeding out uh, that from a mother. And at the end of the day, it what are we doing? Are we letting the mother bleed out and continue with the baby or, or I, I can't imagine going through that and being in that tough situation and genuinely taking care of this mother. And the fa- I can only imagine this father screaming on the side. Don't, don't let me lose my wife. It, it brings me to tears. I remember this moment. Uh, so clearly with this family that I took care of it. I, I reflect back on that. It's, this husband losing his wife and we're saving her and the baby was lost but at that point there's a love connection here it's it sucked and everybody was in tears that whole day but it just what do you tell the what do you tell the husband at that point like oh sorry your wife has to die so the baby can be born like it's just i just can't it, it baffles me it's just I, I hope to God I don't get to that situation um, in this in this world. And as a medical provider, I, I hope I have the strength when it if it does ever happen to me. But I, I just I don't know what I would do, honestly. So I, I just I absolutely don't. You know, and I think that's I think that's an important piece for public servants and non-public servants alike to hear. Because when you said, like, listening to you explain that and being able to hear the emotions in your voice, I, like, I connected with it, obviously not as a medical professional, but I have left education for the same reason. Like, laws that have 
severe repercussions in my daily life as an educator have made it to where I can no longer do my job and at the same time say I'm doing what I believe is best for the students in front of me. It has gotten to the point where parents are suing teachers for breaking up fights because it means the teacher had physical contact with their child. Yep. Like in order to break up a fight, yeah, in order to break up a fight, I had to either push a child or pull a child or grab a child. And so the parent is now suing the teacher in the school district. And so in order for the school district to say, we aren't liable, they have now added into a lot of their code of conduct for staff members that staff will not have any physical contact with the student, whether that be high five, fist bump, handshake, hug, or grabbing them to break up a fight. And districts are telling their teachers, do not attempt to break up a fight. The district will not, if, you, if you're attempting to break up a fight and a student pushes you into a wall and you get a concussion, the district is not gonna cover that because you shouldn't have been trying to break up the fight. If two students are about to kill each other and you step in the middle and you grab a student and the parent sues you, the student will not have, the district will not have your back because you shouldn't have attempted to break up the fight. You were supposed to just let them kill each other. And that is when I said, okay, now we're not in this for what's best for the human life in front of me. And there were teachers who disagreed with me. They said, no, this is a good policy. It saves the teacher. And I said, yeah, but teachers didn't get into teaching to save ourselves. We got into teaching to save Mm -hmm. kids and to help kids. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, it's a little backwards, but it's nice. I guess it's not nice to know, but it it kind of makes me feel a little more understood to hear that these, that this specific abortion law, and I've talked to this with a few of my other nursing friends. I don't think any of them actually made it to the podcast, um, but I talked about abortion specifically with a few of my other nursing friends, and I've heard pretty much the same emotional sentiment, just while I don't believe in it and I don't think we should just be able to go out and just get as many abortions as we want just because there are circumstances that are now putting what we do for a living in jeopardy like it's putting our passion and our drive behind what we do in jeopardy okay so now to something a little lighter what made you want to be a traveling nurse versus the everyday one hospital nurse? <laughs> uh, I'm a free soul. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, it started with, uh, I left uh, Dallas. I, I, so my long history is I went to Wichita Falls, West Texas. That's uh, about an hour and a half, two and a half hours out from Dallas, guys. Uh, uh, I went there, country, you know, loved it. Uh, and then I applied for jobs all over Texas. I got some ER positions and some step-down positions, but I didn't get my ICU position. Uh, I got really lucky, I, I guess. I, my, most of my nursing school, my clinicals, I got forced, in, not forced, I take it back. I got, to me, I was lucky enough to get my clinicals, to a majority of my clinicals in the ICU setting. Uh, because there wasn't enough nurses to teach all the students that we had in our class. So I would be, we just got placed wherever. Uh, luckily, I got in, I was always a random pick, I guess, somehow to get 
to the ICU. And so I knew I wanted to do ICU. So then I went to, I didn't get any Dallas ICU positions. I knew that's what I wanted to do. I ended up going to Arkansas, uh, five hours, Northwest Arkansas and Fayetteville. Uh, I actually did a podcast for NPR there with their hospital. Uh, that's a, that's actually interesting, but I just thought about that. Uh, but, uh, after that, I was in Arkansas. I knew that I didn't want to be in Arkansas for lifelong. Uh, but I ended up travel nursing back to Texas because, uh, at that time, all the Dallas hospitals I was trying to get into told me I need at least two years of experience so that they can take me back into the hospital. And this is pre-COVID times, guys, not now, because there's a lot of stipulations that change right now that help the hospital essentially. But at that time, uh, hospitals were telling me I needed to redo my residency in order for them to hire me. And I was like, I'm not wasting another year so that you can just put me in a baby class and I can sign a contract for you for three years, essentially with low pay. So I decided to travel nurse back to Texas and I was just going to find a full-time job then. But I figured I didn't want to do that to the hospital because I knew I eventually wanted to travel, that I would just travel nurse around now. And then I decided to keep going. Um, so my traveling led me to um, what's called East LA so, or the outskirts of LA. Uh, I was in Redland for the first three months. And then I moved up to Monterey in Northern California uh for three months and then i came back during COVID times to texas i went to texoma for uh what seven or eight months i think i traveled there uh and then i went back to where did i go after that uh i went back to my first ever travel gig for four months uh which was in methodist uh, or in dallas i guess uh and after that i went to michigan and after Michigan, I went to go to Hawaii. There we go. And then from Hawaii, back to Texas for a bit. And then from Texas to Michigan. Oh, I lied to you. I went to California again. I went to Riverside for a bit in between all this. Okay. So you've done... You've, you've traveled to some places that I think a lot of people would love to say that they've gone and spent months in. So Los Angeles, Riverside, Monterey, California, Hawaii, obviously. Um, obviously mm -hmm. not, not Arkansas, not Texoma, not. <laughs> but, actually, but you, I will tell you, Arkansas is a beautiful place, man. Fable, Arkansas is absolutely astounding. I said the same thing, who wants to live in Arkansas, but absolutely my second most favorite place I want to be in is Fayetteville, Arkansas, outside of Hawaii. So next can to have Hawaii, it. Fayetteville, Arkansas is beautiful. You can have it. I believe you. <laughs> I am never going to visit so that I can tell you for myself. And now that I said that, watch my next main job be in Arkansas somewhere. Please don't It's a mini Austin, man. It is a straight up mini Austin. It is such a free place. So much hiking, so much dog loving, so much freedom of liberals and republicans both living together to peace somewhat <laughs> it, it's See, i don't now i have to find somebody else who has lived in fayetteville arkansas to see if they also yeah, describe it as a mini austin yeah i mean being from texas i genuinely think it's a mini austin it's so free there it's so 
Everybody's a free soul. Okay. Not everybody. Everybody there's there's people in their their right minds that have their own standpoints, but for the most part, people get along really well. Okay. And so earlier you said while you were in Hawaii, you were planning from Hawaii a wedding with your now wife who was in Michigan at the time. How did y'all yep. master that? How how did that work? Uh, I told her, let's just get married in Hawaii and call it a day and we'll just live there for the rest of our life. That didn't work with my Indian parents, so <laughs> we made it work. <laughs> Facebook Messenger, man, just call when we got the chance. Was it busy season for her? No, it wasn't busy season, but she was uh, she was working too. And so I think by the time I woke up, I was doing night shift and day shift here. Um, so whenever I was done with my day shift, she would be waking or close to being waking up for her work. So I would, whatever messages I had or whatever thoughts we had about the wedding or whatever questions we had, we messaged it the other person messaged back and take a day to reply and a couple weeks maybe to finally come to a conclusion but we made it happen man and one big family indian wedding later here's two love people becoming one that sounds like such work which i mean obviously marriage relationships they're all work but that just I can imagine most people just being like, yeah, no, it's not worth it. We're, I'm not doing this long distance. How <laughs> how have y'all maintained a long distance relationship? And not just like, obviously it's a long distance relationship, but y'all are also obviously both two people who work and have stable mm-hmm. careers, which is probably why you weren't able to just pick up and move whenever you wanted. Um, so how, how are y'all figuring that out? Besides just like basic communication and staying true to each other outside communication um like you said staying true to each other for sure 100 percent there uh we we did our best as far as visiting each other um flights weren't cheap so i mean it's a lot of money but money in the world isn't the most important thing for us uh we don't care for it i mean not we don't care for it, we need it but at the end of the day it's just um the flight's there. I mean, at the end of the day, besides, like you said, communication on the phone, uh, just flying, seeing each other. We think in the beginning of our relationship, we saw each other every month or every two months, I want to say. Um, and then outside that, as life progressed, we it took long. I think the longest we went without seeing each other was probably four to five months, I want to say. Uh, that was rough. That was a hard point of our relationship, but it was definitely more when you walk out of those four to five months you think of how much you genuinely miss the other person and care for them and um it's just teamwork it really is just teamwork one person fails the other person got your back and vice versa they can tell you every time i've ever had my doubts and or my um not my doubts my what's the call what do you what do you call that? My uh, my hate for the long distance. Mm-hmm. I I'm telling you, Estelle was there, and don't worry, babe, it'll, it'll be worth it. And we'll wait till our wedding. We'll be together, and it was. And then I like I said, it's easier for my. I'm a travel nurse, so that's why I went to Michigan. I was there for. I got to live with her family and 
um, be with them for a bit. So three months of that was just amazing. I got to see how I visited our family often before that, but only for weekends or maybe a week max. And then uh, three months of it was just absolutely amazing. And then following that year was six months worth of it. It was great. And I left and I felt so sad. I didn't think I was going to get to be as close to her family as I did. That's always a blessing, like to be able to be, to be able to spend real time with the family of your spouse outside of your spouse. Mm -hmm. That that's great. So how does nursing change? How, how did nursing change post COVID? Cause you've been a traveling nurse yeah. since before COVID. And I know a lot of people became traveling nurses after COVID because wages spiked and things happen. Yeah. So, but how, mm -hmm. how did it change outside of the money? We know the money went up. We've heard that that's in the media. How, mm -hmm. but how else did it change for you? Uh, so pre travel nursing or pre COVID travel nursing was a lot stricter. You'd have, uh, for me, I, my contracts I did prior to traveling or, um, what do you call it? Uh, prior to COVID I would interview with, so my manager, whoever I applied for, uh, my the manager of that unit would call me, and I actually have an interview, like a regular job interview, uh, not not but not as full on, but a good like couple questions, like hey, what would you do in this situation? They want to feel you out and stuff like that. Um, into and like I said, prior to COVID as well, you were required not required, but it was mostly beneficial for you to have at least two years of experience as, as a nurse before you start traveling um, because you get that under you have that experience to be able to be by yourself uh, like I said I didn't travel uh, after two years of experience I traveled at a year and six months or something uh, but the reason I traveled wasn't because I wanted it much, I wanted the money or anything. At that time, like I said earlier, I was I applied for jobs. They wanted me to do residency. I didn't want to do it. So I traveled back to Texas originally. I only went back to Texas at that time because I had family coming from India and my parents had my dad the priest, he had relocated to Chicago at the time. So I was trying to go back to Dallas to help my family settle in and accumulate or uh, assimilate to uh, the Texas lifestyle. Uh, and just American culture, you know. Uh, so that was my reasoning behind travel nursing uh, originally. But at that same time, at that hospital I was at, my manager was such a blesser or blessing that she let me stay for three contracts. I was there for nine months. Uh, so I was there for, I got my two years in and learned a lot from that, uh, where I got to the point where I did start traveling. On that note, is the two-year thing that I was talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. Post-COVID really, really hit the nursing field hard, I want to say, because I've met some... <laughs> I need to control my language. <laughs> uh, I met some people that have... that were unsafe nurses, I guess you could say. It's out there. Uh, COVID got, like I said, prior to COVID, you have interviews. 
during COVID, there was such shortage of nurses everywhere that we'd be tripled and uh, hospitals would be complaining or nurses would be complaining, hey, we don't, we don't want this ratio, which is unsafe for 100% sure. Hospitals need to do something to get, you know, our ratio safe. Uh, but during this time, whenever it was getting more and more unsafe, hospitals were just hiring anybody. They wouldn't do a uh, background check on nurses. They wouldn't ask, they'd give you a resume or they ask for the resume or whatever that background check that we do uh, during this time. And people would be hired with six months of experience. I've seen it, I met someone that came literally right out of orientation to go travel. She did 16 weeks of her or 13 weeks of her orientation and went travel nursing. How she got that gig? absolutely dumbfounded to me and pissed and the only reason I'm more upset with that one situation was because the whole time while I was working I like I said earlier I love teaching I enjoy it I love having students whenever I work um, I want to go back to be educating uh, nurses later on or hopefully become a dean of a nursing school one day but uh, I, I can't work with my two patients in the ICU and also have another nurse that asks me questions about everything she's doing at the same time. That whole contract for probably three weeks of it, I was taking care of her patients and my patients. And I was doing double work and it was just hard. And I finally realized I was asking her, I asked her at one point, I was like, hey, how long have you been nursing? And she's like, oh, I don't know, about 16 or no, 20 weeks. What did she say? Something stupid. Sorry, sorry, excuse me, French. Um, uh, she, she was less than a half a year <laughs> of nursing in. Uh, and I'm just like, I'm sorry, what did you just say? And she's like, yeah, I just started traveling right after my orientation. I had a good hospital I worked at, and I, pre I'm pretty, I was pretty good at my nursing. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm doing all your work. You don't know anything. And I think that was the harshest I was on anybody ever. And it wasn't because I, she didn't know what she was doing. It was because she was she, you can't travel nursing there for a reason you have travel nurses not because they are easy to go they can move around whenever they want that's not the reason why it's because those hospitals don't need to put in that extra education and extra time to train them by themselves they're not people that staff orient and they the managers know them 100 percent these are nurses that would excel a lot better outside and adapt a lot better than they would in their own hospital and uh, that can adapt very easily to other hospitals. So you can't adapt to another hospital when you don't know your own core fundamentals of nursing. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, you can't play jazz if you don't know how to read music. Exactly. Except I have a friend who plays jazz and can't read music, so never mind. <laughs> I take that. Well, there you go. I mean, people don't get me wrong. I met some more intelligent nurses that actually don't have any problems, but it, it just depends. And that's the one situation since COVID. But um, a lot of place, a lot of hospitals, the smart hospitals that have actually worked on keeping their nurses and not having them turn over, that's there. Ratios have been uh, increased. Um, pay has been increased. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, there's a lot that's changed because of COVID, man. And it, it sucks when people... Uh, people are less, honestly, it sucks to say, but I feel like a lot more people have 
don't listen to medical professionals anymore because they're thinking, hey, we don't need to listen. COVID's fine. COVID's done. But I mean, the reality, people are still dying from COVID in the hospital, man. It sucks. But I mean, it's not, it's not gone. I'm not saying it's, it hasn't come down. I'm just saying people are still dying from it. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so as we end, I have a few quick hitter questions. I want you to answer with the first answer that pops into your head. Okay. And guys, so this, Akil really did a few seconds ago say excuse his French when he called someone stupid. <laughs> so <laughs> if you happen to be offended by something he's saying, you're the problem, not him. Um, okay. <laughs> Quick hitter. What's your favorite movie? Uh, Deadpool. Makes sense. Um, what's your hidden talent? My speed. No, I guess it's not hidden. Uh, I'm really good at training dogs. You're really good at training dogs? Yeah, like I can communicate really well with dogs. Like I, I love I love dogs. So would you call yourself a dog whisperer? I, I yeah, I would say I'm not I'm not the greatest, but yeah, I would say I'm a dog whisperer. Okay. And can you still dunk? <laughs> so I was what a done, man. Bye. <laughs> I wish. No, that was what it done. That that will never happen again in my life. Did you really only dunk one time in your entire life? Yep. And it was it was I wouldn't even consider it a full I mean most people wouldn't. It was the ball out of MSU. It was just uh I got my finger, I had the ball, I got the finger, I got the I, the ball went in, I got up there above the rim and I got it. I tipped it in, I guess. But I Did was Did you above touch the rim? The rim. I touched the ball. Yes, yes. Okay, you touched the rim and the ball went in, you dunked it. Akil's yeah. like, how tall yeah. are you? Five, six, five? Yeah, five, five. five, yeah. five. I go by five, six on my license, but five, five, I guess. Yeah, my license says I'm five, nine. I'm five, five and a half, maybe five, six. <laughs> so, you know, such is life. But I dunked for the first time in like three or four years last week. And I almost went what? home. Like, I, I legitimately haven't been to the gym to, to play basketball since then because I kind of want to end on <laughs> But I I just, I thought about it and I saw one of my friends starting to lose weight and they dunked again the other day. I was like, I'm going to be able to dunk this year. And I didn't realize how close, how not far I was from actually doing it. You, I don't What's know your, if you remember this, but seventh grade, when you were in eighth grade, you uh -huh. had, uh, when we were in what's called basketball together, I remember I told you, I don't believe you that you can touch rim. Shellman with his backpack jumped and touched the rim. And I'm just like, <laughs> I, I'm done. I announced, you were probably, what, five foot two, maybe? Five foot three? You, dude, you touched the rim. And I was like, I'm sure basketball Jackson court was probably lowered a little bit, but you touching rim that day, absolutely dumped out of me. I was like, absolutely not. Yeah. No, I like you. I'm sorry. It wasn't seventh or eighth grade. It was it was ninth grade and tenth grade. It was. It yeah, was I was gonna say. I think college. it was north. Oh. Um, yep. But I do remember that. I I try to tell younger people. I I I used to could jump really high, and then I started breaking my ankles. 
Um, and, you know, ankle surgeries affect how high you can jump. But I used to could jump really high. Okay. Yeah. Um, what's one thing you wish you enjoyed more? Mm. Traveling. I still travel, but I, I don't, I wish I got to travel a lot more. Like for fun and not for work. Yes, yes. Makes sense, makes sense. If you were to have a book written about your life, what would the title be? The Helping Hand, I don't know. That's the, that's the first thing I thought of. Okay, it, that book isn't selling a whole lot. I just want you to know that if, you're, if, you, yeah. have a plan of, if you have a plan of writing a book, let's, I want you to brainstorm a few more titles before you land on one. <laughs> Okay. The helping you. hand. It it's it's cute, but it's not gonna that's not good. Like that book isn't on the bestseller. Not with some of the titles yeah, I've seen the, recently. The sexy immerse Indian. Sexy, sexy immerse. There you go. Sexy Indian nurse. Mm, okay. No, okay. no, Merce, Merce, Merce. Male nurse. Merce. You know? Male nurse. Yep. Okay. Yep. I like just Merce. Let's, just let's take out Merce. the sexy and Indian. Yeah, let, yeah. Let's do the Merce. There we go. Just Merce. That that's a bestseller. That's why we brainstorm. Um, there you go. Do you plan on having kids soon? Uh, I wouldn't say soon, but I mean, uh, it is in the God near future. Hopefully, God willing. Good. I think the world could use like five more little kills running around oh heck no <laughs> that'd be terror dude <laughs> i don't think anybody wants little kills running around little kills are heathens of the world i swear the only due diligence that would happen is because my wife is, it would be a part of them it would calm them sure i think the amount of energy that could be created by you reproducing five more yous would just be that, astounding. That, that would, okay, I can agree to that. The energy definitely needs to leave me. Um, I'm getting too old at this point. Yeah, I, I, I feel that. I completely understand that. Two more. Um, would you ever do a reality TV show? <laughs> yeah. I've always wanted to. Me too. Me too. Sometimes I'm kind of offensive a little bit, not on purpose. Just, I mean, you've known me a long time. I don't mince words very well. And I'm not a mean person. <laughs> I'm not a mean person at all. I just, if I feel it, I'm going to say, say it. that you're blunt. You're and blunt. I you are hope that you're not offended. Person. It is what it is. Yep. And then what is one piece of advice you would give to others? Like, what is your public servant's announcement? Like I said earlier, the golden rule, it's be, uh, treat, others the way, treat others the way you want to be treated. I don't, I don't know, you're an educator, you're, you are educating. Um, I don't know, man. I genuinely feel like that phrase has been gone out of the world recently. 
Uh, I don't hear it as much. Um, it might just be because I'm not young anymore, but I feel like I that that golden rule has just kind of slowly drifted away. But you I would know, love to let the world know. I think it's still said for kids, and I think it's still used with kids. I think it's, and I don't think this is new. I think it's always drifted away from adults. Just as you get older, yeah. you stop treating people the way you want to be treated. You start treating people how they deserve to be treated, or you treat people how they treat you. And it's it's stupid. I think but, you should I think yeah. we should just constantly be treating other people the way that we would like to be treated. And that would solve a ton of issues. Like, oh, you really want someone to hear you out and hear your side of argument? Listen to their side of an argument. Mm-hmm. You, you really want someone to be nice and respectful to you, then be nice and respectful to them first. Like, do it yep. first. Treat others the way you want to be treated is not a reciprocal thing. It's an active thing. It's something you do in hopes that they do it back. Because they may not yep. do it back. You just kind of hope that they do. So, yeah, I don't, yep, I don't I think agree. the phrase itself is gone. I think it's just as we get older, we stop using it because people are like, I'm not going to treat you the way I want to be treated. I'm going to treat you the way you've treated me. I'm going to treat you the way I think you deserve to be treated versus I'm going to just treat you the way I think you should treat me and hope that you treat me that way. Back. I agree to that. You're right. So I, to the older people out there or not older, I find that word offensive too. Now my age is coming up uh, to us young ones that have forgotten that rule remember it yes we are still young adults to kill at least for another yeah. five years i'm not giving that young adult <laughs> title up for another five years but yeah we i think and i think our age group our generation of young adults is doing a better job at that than maybe our parents generation did mm-hmm. but that's great advice. Just treat others the way you want to be treated. And I actually think it's the first time it's come up on this podcast. So I appreciate you for giving us new original advice, even though it's not new or original. It's something we've all heard since we were three. But it, it's a gentle reminder to just be nice to people or not like be terrible to people if you want to be treated terribly. That's fine, too. But yeah. be consistent. Um, <laughs> thank you again for coming on the podcast. I know it's super late. It is now 1230. (laughs) Um, And we've been talking for an hour and a half. So I appreciate you giving me your time and sharing some of your wisdom, answered a ton of questions and broken things down for not just the audience, obviously, but for me um, that I really wanted to know. And you've given me some insights that I'll now get to think about until two or three in the morning as I'm, you know, trying to fall asleep but it's not gonna happen because I'm super amped um but again just thank you for taking the time like I legitimately asked him today if he could come on the show and he was like yeah I can come on tonight and then an hour after we were supposed to be starting he was still ready to come on and talk so I appreciate it a ton it means a lot I hope things are continuing to go well with you and your wife and your job and all of the things. 
Thank you, Sheldon. I seriously appreciate I'm so glad that your personality is the same way as the one only person that man. You're a great human being, and I'm glad you're doing the podcast. I hope your ventures go well. I'll definitely be listening. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And I don't say this enough on the podcast because I assume that if you're listening, you know where you can find the podcast. But we are not just yeah. on the Anchor <laughs> app. We are not just on Spotify. That is where like 50% of my listeners come from. But we are on anywhere you can get a podcast. Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon. Obviously the Anchor app. Obviously the website. But you can get it anywhere you can look up a podcast. You should be able to find this podcast. Public Servants Announcements. Or you could just look up my name, Showman Smith. I'm the only one out there. But like subscribe follow share all of the things that i always forget to say because i'm new to social media and i was born in the 90s but again thank you to our guest akil and have a wonderful week